From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While his pending arrival was already announced a week prior, the new sheriff pulled into town for the first time on Sunday afternoon to the excitement of a Gator Nation hungry for the sustained success that has eluded the program over the last decade. On this week's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry weigh in with first impressions from Coach Napier's introduction, the plan he intends to implement, an intriguing bowl game on the horizon, an up-and-down week for men's basketball, and odd coaching fits in the PAT. Then, senior volleyball star Marley Monzeray joins us to discuss being the last of the three sisters to play for the Gators, contributing to many of Mary Wise's 1,000 career wins and her unique obsession with making pottery. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Time to jump into this week's roundtable with Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Uh, obviously, the leadoff this week is it's all about Billy Napier. Uh, we talked last week about the hire, and then it was just a matter of waiting till uh, you know he finished his duties with Louisiana. They won the Sunbelt Championship, and then the next day, that red carpet was rolled out just like we said it would, and Billy Napier was officially introduced to Gator Nation. So, uh, Scott, uh, starting with you, just your, your thoughts on on day one and what we've seen so far. Well, you know, Adam, uh, he came off that plane and it was actually blue carpet. It's blue carpet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, hey, that's understandable. You see yeah. it's red carpet. At Florida, it's blue carpet. Um, it's a metaphorical red carpet. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know... Uh, it was a whirlwind day for him, obviously, a uh, whirlwind week. Uh, capped it off in grand fashion there, but went into Sun Belt, like you said. That was important to him to stay back for that and to give those guys his all. And, uh, you know, they got a big win over Appalachian State. So he was able to pack up Sunday morning with his uh, wife. They flew over from Louisiana to Gainesville, landed to a, a roaring reception. The band was there. Uh, you had you know, A.D. Scott Strickland, school president, Kip Fox. Uh, it, it was a, a pretty cool atmosphere. But what I liked about it, they get to campus, Adam, and they get a police escort, and then there's about 200 people here waiting on him. So he certainly got a, a fine greeting on his first trip to Gainesville in a decade. He said he had not been here and had been here one time previously. That was when he was an analyst at Alabama. They came down and uh, beat up on the Gators back in 2011. So uh, it was more about, obviously, the location and the town and all that stuff for Billy Napier. It was about an opportunity to turn a program into an elite program where, like he's come from, working at Alabama and Clemson. I mean, no denying those two programs have been the class of college football in the college uh, football playoff era. Billy uh, Napier has seen that up close. He knows what it looks like. And he said with Florida, once he got the commitment from the administration to 
up the financial package in terms of assistant pool salary, behind-the-scenes help, support staff. He knew Florida was a place that you could win a national title because obviously the Gators have done it three times. Uh, but yet here we are in 2021, and we're talking about Florida still waiting on its first appearance in the college football playoff. And now Billy Napier, let's make no mistake about it, with all the additional resources that the administration is going to be pumping into the program, I mean, he's here to put the Gators into that college football playoff Um you know, he's got some work ahead, but I really liked a couple of things about it just from my first impressions. Uh, and I got to hang out behind the scenes a little bit before his introductory press conference. And, you know, he was, he was, uh, you, you could tell his head was spinning. I mean, he was being shown the offices and the weight room, the locker room, all those kind of things. He was seeing all this for the first time, but he also had a, a good demeanor about him. You know, he, he tell he was appreciative and, was talking to different people, asking what they do. I think that just fits his personality from everything I've heard and read about. This guy's an attention to detail guy, and he came here with a plan, and now he's got to execute that plan. So one thing that stuck out was that plan, and you could tell in his press conference, very measured uh, in some of his uh, responses, you could tell he, he wanted to get across clearly that he wasn't just showing up and, hey, I'm a Florida Gators head coach. We're going to do big things here. Yeah. He, he wanted to talk to people and say, look, it's going to take some work. We're going to have a plan. And at times, that plan may seem a little slow to some people. But believe me, it's a developed plan. It's one that will take a little patience, but it's one that will bear some really good fruit when it's uh, executed. So I think that was his main message. and. Uh, you know, that was my lasting first impression of him. And right after him, Adam, uh, he did some more things, you know, photos and videos. And he got out on the road recruiting because that's where it all starts. You know, expectations are, are, are so different. What, what, what impressed me about, about Billy Napier, and, and, you know, I don't know, I didn't know anything about him other than what I, what I read about him. I did study up on him a little bit. But um, he looked a little stiff, a little, st- uh, uh, maybe even a little bit nervous at the podium at first as he was reading off his cards, his prepared remarks. But man, once he got into the question and answer and even the breakout situations off to the side where he kind of talked to some reporters uh, where the cameras weren't on and what have you, this guy is has a little bit of a, uh, it's, he, he sounds country, you know, with that Georgia uh, accent or whatever, but I, he, he also sounds really, really smart to me, and he has a plan. And I know, you know, how, how many people leave the product? Well, that guy doesn't have a plan. And, how, you know, he said all the right things uh, in terms of um, building a program and, and you know, it's going to be the best and what they're going to do recruiting, all that stuff. And <laughs> I, I always say it's like the it's like the, when you hire the new defensive coordinator and, and he says, we're going to play an attacking defense. They never say, no, we're going to play a passive and a soft defense. He said he he said all the right things. So you're, he he won his press conference, um, I would say. But I think he gave um, Gator fans reason to believe that that. Someone is stepping in who's going to have a high priority on. He called the one of the coolest things or one of the best lines he said. He said, "This is a personnel acquisition business, okay? And he's going to build build a a personnel department. Now they had one before. He's going to build it differently, probably more thoroughly, 
and probably with a lot more people in it. Uh, I made the point to somebody. He mentioned twice we're going to hire an army. That mm-hmm. suggests to me they're going to have a hell of a lot more people doing things um, over there relative to scouting and and uh, transfer portal studying and and stuff like that. Um, I, like I said, I I made the point to somebody. I go. He says they're going to build. They're going to they're going to hire an army. Well, uh, University of Florida, the floor, the athletic department has built a Pentagon over there uh, for the for the new football uh, facilities for the new football people to move into. So you got to put soldiers in the Pentagon, right? And uh, I think I think uh, he's he he intends to do that. So um, from my standpoint, I I think one of the things he said that that really probably sent some fans. Uh, off a little bit was about the uh maybe not signing too many players at the early signing period (laughs) well i mean you know it's he's gonna evaluate players his way okay and uh who dan mullen signed had nothing to do with he signed with who he's going to sign and where are there some really uh uh, high profile four four star guys that are all of a sudden decommitting from yeah you know maybe he'll get him back i don't know but gator nation has to put their faith in this guy um, he won a lot of games there with this with this model, uh, finding finding players that that maybe other people didn't want or projecting players differently relative to stars. But he's going to work hard, and uh, he's going to hire some people. I think you know these names are trickling in the coaches and stuff that are obviously going to hit the recruiting trail. You know he's got a bunch of other people that are going to come in and help, and I'm, we're just we're just kind of waiting as he sees these things kind of come in piecemeal. You, what I found interesting, and, and I've talked to a few people about this, is that there was a confidence there, but there wasn't an arrogance. And, and I think that's, if we think about the last two uh, opening press conferences for the guys that came in uh, most recently, there was there was a sense of a, there was a, a bravado maybe ahead of, of, of the achievement, right? Billy Napier yeah. said, I've, I've got a plan. I know what we're going to do. But he also didn't stand up there and say that, you know, his dog could play quarterback for him or things like that, <laughs> that, you know, that rub people the wrong way. So I just I think that his confidence, but also having a humble nature about him was a breath of fresh air, because I think that's a lot of personality wise what rubbed people the wrong way with some of the, the previous head coaches. Yeah, I mean, I think a sense of humility in his place. I mean, it certainly was well-received. You know, he's obviously a little different than the, the two previous coaches, Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen, in that, you know, while he's been a head coach like they had before they took over Florida, he's a younger guy. Uh, he, he was a head coach at a, a non-Power 5 school at Louisiana. Uh, so this is a big jump for him in his career. Uh, he's still got a lot that I'm sure he wants to – achieve in his career and a lot to prove to you know Gators fans because of Billy Napier was a name that we'd heard about but I don't think a month ago a lot of people thought of Billy Napier as being the next head coach of the Florida Gators but Scott Strickland when he started dissecting this and Scott made this clear during his press conference before introducing the Napier he said you know being a part of that college football playoff committee he got to do some homework as kind of the one of the I guess the chairman of the Sunbelt Conference, they, he would have to study those teams uh, to present to the committee. And so he got, he got used to looking at Billy Napier and what he was doing at Louisiana. 
and just came away impressed. And he started doing some homework when it was, you know, reality when he was looking for a coach. And he just kept hearing some of those words that speak to humility. You know, he, this was a guy that was genuine. He was authentic, uh, a guy who treated people the right way. And so, you know, that's great package to have to, you know, build that trust and confidence within the organization. Ultimately, we all know how this works, Adam. It's going to be his success is going to be determined how many games he wins at Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as long as fans are patient, you know, don't expect a national championship <laughs> in 2022. I don't think that's where the program is. But I do think with his plan and with the way the game is structured today, he could put some things together pretty quickly uh, and then really implement that plan. And I think as important as anything here, perhaps sustain success. And that's really where the Gators have lacked in a decade. I mean, Urban Meyer had unbelievable success. But when he lost his cord in those back-to-back titles, it didn't seem like the plan was there to sustain it. And I think we've seen that kind of play out over and over uh, with three coaches since. So now Napier's challenge is to, you know, create success, which you're going to do at Florida, I think, but sustain it, which is a difficult thing to do. But those two guys we talked about earlier, uh, Nick uh, Saban and Dabo Sweeney at Alabama Clemson, that's what they've been able to do. That's how they separate themselves. So let's talk about the moves that have been made so far, because again, you mentioned it, Scott, he got on the road recruiting uh, almost instantly. And on the recruiting side, I know you talked about there's got to be patience, right? Being we've seen there's been some decommitments that people are fretting about. But again, that's that's all that's part of the plan. You said from from day one, you've got to expect that there's some of this is going to happen. We're going to do things a certain way. And not everybody who was going to come into the program was going to be into that. And so I think you've obviously seen that for people that follow recruiting in the last week. Um, but in terms of some of the personnel, the staff, uh, what can what can we say about that so far and uh, and who's coming with him at this point? Well, you know, he's brought in four guys who were with him on his staff out there. And, you know, that, that gives him some camaraderie, uh, some people in the organization who know what he's about, who know his plan, the way he operates on a daily basis. Uh, so that that's certainly going to help. And those guys, I mean, I haven't met them yet, uh, obviously. Um, I know they've been out. I've seen uh, him on the recruiting trail. Some of those guys have been out with him already. So They might not have been to Gainesville yet. Have they all been to yeah. Gainesville? <laughs> you know, I don't really know. I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I, I haven't Probably seen not. Uh, you know, they weren't here on Sunday. Uh, so if they did, they came in Monday and uh, were out and about really quick. So that was his first piece. And, you know, he another thing that intrigued me about him during his press conference, he was very detailed. He said he breaks down his calendar year in eight different parts. And the first one being the foundation. And obviously that is his stage where he is right now. So he's building his foundation. And then after that comes identity. That really won't happen until – after signing day in that time before uh, spring practice starts, spring practice was his third stage. So even to even to have labels for eight different stages of the football calendar, uh, that shows you kind of what his organization skills are. But right now, it's about trying to see what he can put together uh, before the early signing day. There are going to be some decommits that we've seen. 
but I, he didn't seem at all alarmed or anything by how many players they will or not sign on the early signing period. He really wants to dive into further evaluation on what's out there leading up to National Signing Day in February. So I, I would think there'd be more action for the Gators at that time than, than this early signing day. But um, again, I mean, if you're out there and you're like panicked and, oh my gosh, this guy decommitted, that guy decommitted, I, I don't think you should lose too much sleep because I don't think the Billy Napier's losing too much sleep. This is just part of the package. This is the way he knew it was going to go before he ever stepped foot on campus. And uh, But it'll be intriguing. It's, it's kind of fun and fascinating to see how this will come together on National Sign Day to see what kind of roster uh, additions he is able to put together uh, before spring camp starts. Lost in all of this is the fact that uh, that this Florida team is going to a bowl game and it's going to be in the state of Florida. It's going to be down the road. Second time this year, the Gators are going to play at Raymond James Stadium in the Gasparilla Bowl and it's going to be against UCF. And oddly enough, this bowl game, which seemed like for most people was going to be an afterthought and no one really cared about, now everybody's into it because it's a chance to play UCF. Uh, fans are into it. Players are into it. It's almost like they've created another regular season game with this particular matchup. I don't know if anything else other than playing Miami uh, would have grabbed the interest uh, the way that, that this matchup has. Yeah, you know, I've watched, I was watching one of the bowl preview shows uh, yesterday or earlier this week, and uh, they were looking at the top five bowl matchups that they were intrigued by. And, of course, the college football playoff games are one and two. But in the top five was UCF against Florida in the Gasparilla Bowl. And a lot of it goes to what you were alluding to, uh, Adam. They haven't played in, uh, gosh, uh, it's been many years. Uh, but, they, you know, they had some back and forth there in home and home and working out a deal. They finally reached an agreement where they're going to play in 2024 uh, again. But uh, this came out of nowhere. And. Uh, the intrigue is that, okay, here UCF is who had wanted to play the Gators. The Gators said, hey, we, we'll play you, but we want a couple at home and, a, you know, one at your place. And they probably worked out a deal. But from a Ford perspective, it's almost like in some ways it's almost a no-win situation because it's a team that's kind of in total transition with coaches who know that they're going to be looking for new jobs and stuff. Uh, after the season or after the game and a UCF program with Gus Malzahn, who, you know, he'd love nothing more to win against an SEC team in a bowl game to create some hype in the offseason for his program. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if Florida can kind of rally the troops the way they did against uh, Florida State in the regular season final. You know, a lot of people didn't expect the Gators to, to put up much of a fight in that one. Uh, but they came out and won that game. The crowd turned out. And, you know, I, I'm expecting a, a really good crowd down in the Tampa yeah. because of, of some of the things we're talking about. It's a fun matchup. Uh, so, you know, the Gators will get back into practice, and I'm sure they will be reminded of, you know, hey, you, you guys got another big game here, to, something to play for. The, you know, you don't want these guys to kind of have bragging rights on you until – you finally get that series lifted off in, what, three seasons. So they went down to Tampa earlier this year, beat USF pretty handily early in the season. That was obviously before uh, things went south. So now they'll try to go down there again and uh, 
they capped the season with the win and just see, you know, they could go into the season with a two-game winning streak, which is saying something considering the way the season's played out. Turning our attention to basketball, uh, Chris, what a weird week, right? Um, it's amazing how much the conversation, the narrative can change in a very short period of time, especially in college basketball, where it's a long season. There's lots of games. There's lots of opportunities um, to both succeed and and to fail and to have missteps. Um, what we saw on Monday, uh, the loss to Texas Southern was just, I mean, stunning. Uh, and obviously, you know, they bounced back on Wednesday night. They beat UNF doing what they should have done to Texas Southern. Um, but yeah, how, how do you assess uh, this week for, for basketball, which was supposed to be an uneventful week and then ended up making headlines uh, for different reasons? Well, you, they used, you hear the phrase wake up call a lot. And obviously that's, that's what this was. The players used it in the uh, post game uh, following the UNF win. The Gators beat uh, UNF 85 to 55 Wednesday night. Um, but really the, the, the story of the UNF game was Texas Southern. They kept saying, they kept getting asked about the game. And they said, we're trying, you know, we, we want to move on from that. But um, even Mike White said afterwards, we're not going to totally move on from that because, because you're going to have to remember it. And um, the day after that game, Tuesday, um, again, remember this, this, it was probably a blessing because to lay that phenomenally sized egg against that team, an 0 17 from the, Southwestern Athletic Conference, the University of Florida in its history was 26-0 and against teams from the SWAC coming into that game. They gave up 58%. Uh, there were so many backdoor and easy slip uncontested layups. Um, they, they got out-rebounded 46-23. to I mean, that's, that's, mm. that's unfathomable when you think about it. But um, now I say that, I think Texas Southern is – remember, they, they were an NCAA tournament team last year. They won a game in the NCAA tournament last year as a 16 seed. They won, it's a first four game, but it's all relative. Right. This is a team that had 11 transfers also, some, one from Texas A&M, one that played in the Final Four for Houston last year, one from Georgetown, one from Stephen F. Austin, which is a, a, a pretty good program. So they had guys with chips on their shoulders too. And I think that I think that's going to be – I think that team's going to win that league. Now, I, I'm not making any, any excuses because Texas Southern, you pay them $90,000 to come in and beat them by 30 points, okay? <laughs> Okay. Uh, Texas Southern is a team that plays 11 road games, no home games in non-conference play. Wow. They, 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 they had been to Oregon. They'd been to BYU. They'd been to NC State. They'd been to Louisiana Tech. They'd, bow, they'd gone from one side of the country to the other, and here they come into Gainesville. And I think the Gators just sauntered in thinking, you know, all right, we didn't play that well in Oklahoma, but this we'll just, we'll just take care of business and get back right to it. Well, it doesn't work that way. Okay. And sometimes you have to learn lessons the hard way. This was, this was a bad, bad lesson. I mean, I guarantee these guys didn't sleep that night very well, if at all. So enter Tuesday, a three hour closed door meeting um, between the players and the coaches kind of sacrificed what they did practice wise in a lot of ways. Um, But they were uh, three hours of, of some candid conversations, some finger pointing, true serum stuff. Okay that, you know, got to the heart of things. And Myron Jones said after the game, it took some of the young guys to tell us what they were seeing, the guys that were sitting on the bench seeing this, this isn't who we were, you know, and kind of the young guys kind of reminded them. And he said, the young guys told us what we do. Now it's up to the old guys to kind of set the tone. And, and they didn't, they weren't that team uh, the other night against Texas Southern. They weren't the, the first team on the floor for loose balls. They weren't uh, boxing out. They weren't um, sharing the basketball 
it couldn't have been any any further from what they uh, what they had rolled out in the in the during that six game win streak uh, to start the season. Now, now we spoke last week, Adam, right uh, after the Oklahoma game, and talked about too many turnovers and maybe a lack of poise uh, uh, to, to, to start that game and how they kind of rebounded from it a little bit and got a little out of character with some things in terms of handling the environment and all that. What they did Monday against Texas Southern was uh, altogether different problems. And they come out against uh, uh, North Florida Wednesday night and kind of settling. You know, North Florida was not going to win this game, I don't think, uh, it, 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 because – the Gators weren't going to let that happen anyway. A, sec, a second time, they weren't going to be, they, they, they weren't going to take this team lightly. I don't think necessarily think North Florida would have been good enough, even if Florida had taken them lightly. But they did what they had to do, and maybe they figured some things out about how how they had to enter the game, what kind of mentality you had to take into the game. Uh, Colin Castleton was was really good. Um, he wasn't really good against Texas Southern. He got he got uh, uh, out hustled and outplayed. Uh, he was slow to the ball, slow to screens, slow to a lot of things. And I think uh, uh, he was, he probably heard about that a little bit in that team meeting. Um, he was really, really good uh, against North Florida, career-high 26 points. He had eight rebounds, got the free throw line 11 times. He was active. Um, he, needs to, he, he needs to be that version of Colin Castleton um, going forward. And now uh, Sunday – the Gators will play in a uh, quadruple header, the third game of a quadruple header at Barkley Center against Maryland. And uh, I was on a radio show this week with some people from Maryland saying, oh, Florida's uh, going through some adversity, having lost to Texas Southern. And I said, yeah, well, Maryland's going through some adversity. Their coach quit last week. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see who uh, we'll see uh, uh, which uh, adversarial um, uh, situation uh, uh, can win out uh, in Brooklyn on Sunday. All right, let's turn our attention to the PAT now, and uh, it's about it's about coaching because everything's about coaching right now, especially if you follow uh, college football in particular. Um, I want to talk about bad fits. There's a lot of really good coaches, but that doesn't mean that they're perfect for every job. And at, the one thing that stands out, and I think you're hearing a lot of people refer to, is the odd fit of Brian Kelly at LSU. He's obviously been a very successful coach. He's won big at multiple places, but Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge, not sure that works. Uh, There was the weird thing where he was putting on like a fake Southern accent at the basketball game that (laughs) garnered a lot of parodies that were really funny. Um, But it it made me think about over the the years, because you've covered a a lot of teams, many years, you've seen a lot. Uh, What are some examples that either you've witnessed from up close or afar of a good coach, but just the, the wrong situation and it didn't work out as a result? Well, I mean, the one that, obviously jumps out in my mind first. I mean, I think Jim McElwain at Florida was, you know, an odd fit in some ways. I mean, I th- it wasn't so obvious at first, but I think the more he was here, I think it, there was just kind of a disconnect maybe with the fan base and, and his style. Uh, I think McElwain, you know, is a, is a good coach in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, you know, I was impressed that he could take this, Florida teams at back-to-back SEC championship games, you know. But there was, there, like I said, there was just as time went on, it just didn't seem like it was going to be a long-term fit. And, of course, it ended up not being. Uh, Brian Kelly certainly jumps out as similar in that way. I mean, here's a guy that he's he's from up north. He's not exactly a Cajun by any stretch of the imagination. 
And even if he tries, I don't think it's going to pull it, he's going to pull it <laughs> off very well. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I, I had this conversation the other day with someone else. And I said, man, that's just such a weird fit. And he said, yeah, but guess what? That's what he said about Nick Saban when he got to LSU, too. And guess what? Mm-hmm. Nick Saban won a national title at LSU. That's true. So uh, and you don't exactly think of Nick Saban being a, a guy who's walking around Alabama like Bear Bryant did either. But I think he's done pretty well in Tuscaloosa at last check. So every year, you know, there's someone that – what? Like, you know, Charlie Weiss to Kansas. I mean, that was – that was – That was weird. Know, right? Yeah. It didn't work out. Um, Ed Orgeron at USC. That was an odd one. Uh, had some moments there. <laughs> it was a really Much odd Much better at LSU. In fairness, though, Scott, is there anywhere that Ed Ogeron is a fit <laughs> other than LSU? <laughs> well, you know, that's a good point. He was a great fit there in 2019, but sure. not such a great fit in 2021. I, I, no. That just shows you how, how crazy the business is and has become. But in college football, the coach is the king. The coach is the star of the program. Uh, that has been the same since the games existed. It's not going to change. So when you do bring someone in who doesn't exactly on the surface fit the culture of the of the location and the university and the, the fan base, uh, the, the only way really that lasts long term is if you win, you know, win big time usually. Uh, because once things go south, uh, they're going to instantly, that's going to be the one of the first things that, Gets thrown up. Yeah, Brian Kelly. He's why did they bring him here? He's not. He's not one of us. He doesn't fit in at LSU. Uh, so we'll have to see how it plays out. I know Brian Kelly's an excellent coach. What he did at Notre Dame was pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Uh, now we'll see if, as he stays there and gets more settled, if his Southern accent gets better. That's key. <laughs> that is going to be key for his long-term success. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the one that just jumps out at me. Adam is uh, Steve Spurrier going to the Washington Redskins. Yeah, um, I know that it's probably pretty close to home to a lot of a lot of fans. But um, he quit the job to go get an NFL job, and it's probably the worst possible NFL job he could have taken. And you know, maybe maybe it was not as foreseeable as it is uh, as it was maybe five years, six years, or seven years later. But because Dan Snyder was only in his third year of of running that team. Having said that, he'd already fired two coaches in uh, in three years, hmm. and enter Steve Spurrier um, to a to a team that has Vinny Serrato as its general manager, and this is a guy who lasted however long until he got fired, and then I, I don't think he's been in the in football, not just the NFL, hadn't been in football since. Oh wow! Um, after 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 he got fired, but um, I remember talking to uh, to Rich McKay uh, about this, and obviously Rich McKay, right there with you, Adam, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, president of the Falcons, but he was general manager um, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when I was covering them when Steve Spurrier took that job, and he was a guy who actually, if you remember, in 1996, came very close to hiring Steve Spurrier um, uh, after the the 1995 season. He ended up with Tony Dungy. I, I, I just it, it was really, really close to hiring Steve Spurrier. I but didn't know that. What, yeah, what he was going to do at that time was find guys to surround Spurrier with because he didn't know the NFL. He might have played in it for 11 years or, or, or was a backup quarterback for most of those 11 years and a punter sometimes. But he, did, he didn't know the NFL. So when he got to Washington, 
Um, he brought coaches with him from here that didn't know the NFL. He had a general manager who not only didn't know the NFL, was only a general manager because he's a racquetball buddy with the owner who thought he did know the NFL. It wasn't as bad as, say, uh, uh, Jerry Tarkanian going to the San Antonio Spurs, which may be the worst fit of all time. I think he lasted 20 games. Wow. He was he was nine and eleven, and of course he got railroaded out of uh, out of uh, UNLV for all the, the the NCAA issues going on there, and landed in San Antonio. But I can't imagine a guy who, who knew about hot tub parties going on with Larry Johnson and and Greg Anderson all of a sudden uh, coaching a Boy Scout in uh, David Robinson. But that that's you know that was probably some somewhat of a poor fit or what have you. But the one that jumps out at me just because it struck so close to home as a Redskin fan, as a person who's known Steve Spurrier for uh, over 30 years and knew, knew I, I think Spurrier, if he'd gone to maybe the Panthers, um, which had a more uh, stable situation in the front office. I just think he need, he needed, I remember Rich McKay said, I would have picked the coaches to surround him with. He needed people to show him and to explain them the game because he knew his football already. He just needed guys that knew the NFL already. And he, he did help himself some. If you recall, he hired Marvin Lewis as his defensive coordinator. Hmm. And that's probably the only reason that Spurrier went seven and nine that season, because he had someone who had a blueprint of how to run an NFL team. And uh, I remember sitting in Spurrier's office that offseason, him showing the Mar- Marvin Lewis came to him and gave him a book. This is, this is what he had planned out every practice, uh, what time they were going to do this, what time they were going to do that for, for a whole preseason and for a whole offseason. And Spurrier went with that book. I can't imagine what it would have been like if he didn't have somebody as organized as, as, as Marvin Lewis to kind of to kind of set a prototype for him and, and let him go. But um, I think if you ask Spurrier now, he, he would tell you it was a it was a big mistake to go there. Maybe he could have waited another year and found a found a, be- a, a, a better landing spot to try to be an NFL coach, because I think he could have been an OK NFL coach. I don't know if he ever would have been a great one, but I think he would have been, been a better one in a better situation where he's surrounded by a better support system than <laughs> Dan Snyder, who may be the worst owner in all of professional sports yeah well we'll see how uh in terms of good fits everyone's hoping billy napier is a good fit for the gators we'll keep tracking the news on him uh and the staff he's assembling the moves he's making in the next few weeks obviously gator basketball will continue going fast and furious chris will be all over that beat scott will have you cover on football news you can find all that at floridagators.com and follow these guys on twitter at gators scott at gators chris uh gentlemen thank you so much we'll talk to you next week thank you adam all right, Adam. Thanks, man. Breaking out of the shadow of one older sibling is hard enough, but what about two? That's the challenge Marley Monserey embraced when she chose to follow in the footsteps of both of her older sisters and play for Mary Wise at Florida. With her career winding down and the Monserey dynasty coming to an end, we spoke to the Windermere native about the importance of that legacy and what it means to her and her family. I have two sisters. Both of them played volleyball at UF. So I kind of followed them, followed in their footsteps and played here. Um, My mom went to UF actually, but she was just in a sorority. Big athlete in high school, played all the sports. She played volleyball at our high school. All four of us went to the same high school. My mom, my two sisters and myself. Was your dad a volleyball player too? No, he played basketball in college. Okay, so I'm, I'm sensing a volleyball player and a basketball player. That's where the height came from. Yes, I'm one of the smaller ones. I'm actually the tallest female, unlike any cousins of my family. Really? Um, my mom's only 5'5", five five, but my dad's 6'6". Six six. 
Okay. So we average that out that way. <laughs> average it to round six foot. Right. Right in the middle. And are you, who is, who is the tallest of your sisters? How are you guys ranked? I'm the tallest and then Allie and then Maddie. Maddie's the oldest and she's little. So it's we're like, it's up the stairs and then down, kind of like reversed and back down. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing volleyball was a big part of, uh, of growing up for you. I mean, how, how early were you playing and was it mostly just cause that's what your sisters were, were already doing? Yes. My sister started younger than I did. Madison started when she was nine. Allie started when she was six. So they started at the same time and I started late, you could say, but I started when I was eight, <laughs> but I was around it for so long and I never really wanted to play volleyball. Um, I was dragged around to all the tournaments, all the qualifiers, but all I really wanted to do was sit there and watch movies on those little <laughs> DVD players. Yeah. Um, but I always said, no, I don't want to play volleyball. I don't want to do that. I did ballet when I was little basketball and then lacrosse. I did some lacrosse. Wow. Okay. But I didn't really want to play volleyball because I was around it so much. Yeah. And then when I was eight, I decided to play for fun and I just fell in love with it. Was it like a, it sounds like a targeted effort to not go down that road but then i don't know if it was just fate or what it was that ultimately steered you back was it because did the other all the things you just listed did they not give you the level of satisfaction you were looking for like what led what road led you back to the 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 fate that was volleyball i think just seeing how much fun my sisters had when they played volleyball and i watched every single game they ever played in um, and just going to the games and not really having interest in it, but then realizing that like they have so much fun doing it. I think I could also have that same amount of fun. Yeah. It was just kind of happened of circumstance. So it's one thing to, to start playing, right? But it's another to realize you're on a path to where you're going to be a D one player at, at a major program. Um, when did that part of it click? When did it go from, okay, this is fun. I like this to, Oh, this is a this is a road to my future. I'd say I was always on a really competitive club team and I never really thought I was that good. Like my whole life my parents just kind of downplayed sports. They were like school's more important, all this stuff's more important. Like sports are for fun and I never really realized that like I could go play D1. I was just kind of like, "Well, I'm just playing for fun." <laughs> Um, my parents were never big on like, you're amazing. You're the best player to walk the earth. <laughs> so I think none of us really like thought we were that great, but like watching my sisters went to college, like my oldest sister, right. When she went to college and played for Mary, I was like, I want to do that. I mm -hmm. want to play college volleyball. I just like watched my sister grow up and watch like the woman she became. And I just thought like, there's so many things you can learn from college athletics other than sports. Right, right. In terms of competition, because I always, you know, when I interview, when I'll talk to a basketball player and they'll talk about, oh, like my older brother played and we would play one-on-one -on -one, and that's what got me going. With, with volleyball, is there like in-family competition? Like how does that even work? It's, I mean, it's not a one-on-one -on -one sport, right? So did you guys compete a lot against each other or was it more just – playing with your teams and there wasn't a head-to-head -head element? There wasn't much head-to-head. -head. I'd say my sisters, they were closer in age, so they had more of that competitive aspect. They got to play high school together for one year, hmm. um, but I missed my oldest, my middle sister by one year. 
So it was like, we were four years apart and then the other two were three years apart. So they got to play together. I wouldn't say it was like super competitive. We'd pepper outside. Um, But it was kind of like, I was the younger weird sister, but they didn't really (laughs) want to hang out with that much. So it was kind of like begging them to pepper with me. Right. But I'd say like our family was really like when you're playing sports, you're playing sports. When you're at home, you're at home. It wasn't really like we brought competition home. Was it competition in others? Like were there things you guys went head to head on or was that just not, that wasn't really an element for you guys? No, I think we're all super competitive. (laughs) So the competition that came home, what form did that competition take? Kind of like races. Like we'd run outside. We still like this Christmas break. We did like a sprint race. Madison's 27. Allie's 24. You got to be careful. You'll blow ACL or something. (laughs) No, they are still, they're still playing all the time. They do, they do their own little sports, but like throwing the football, like who could do it better? It's still funny to go home and we're still really competitive with random sports. Like Mm -hmm. shooting the basketball around, throwing the football, running. The competition never stops. That means that the spirit is still alive, right? Yes. Um, when you got to that level where it was time to, okay, now I want to go play college. Was there ever anywhere else you wanted to go or was it, no, I am going to follow in my sister's plural footsteps and, and go play for Marion and be a Gator. That's actually a funny story because my older sister, um, went to Florida originally. My middle sister went to South Carolina originally. Hmm. So uh, when I was looking at schools, I was like, I don't want to go to Florida because I don't want to follow my sister's footsteps. And Madison is seven years older. And I still thought like, oh, she hasn't been out long enough. They're going to think I'm just the little sister. And then right before I committed, Allie transferred to Florida. Okay. So we kind of both went to Florida at the same time. She was there for two years more than me, but... Um, I didn't, I didn't want to go to Florida because I wanted to make my own path, but nothing, all the places I visited, nothing felt like home like Florida did. I was going to ask that if like a lot of people, they want to, they don't want to, to have to be in the shadow, but then to be in it three X, right? Like you're the third in the line. How, like, how did you make that work for you? Or did it just not matter once you got there and you realized that narrative didn't really have an impact on you? I think because my middle sister went to Florida it had less of an impact on me because Madison and Allie are completely polar opposites. So when she got there, people were expecting her to be like Maddie mm-hmm. and she just wasn't. So then there, I think when I got to go in there, like, well, she probably won't be like them either because the other two are so different. Um, but when I got there, I think I'm kind of a mix of the both of them. So it was fun to see like the coaches say like, Oh my gosh, Allie does that. And Madison did that. And I think I'm a nice mix of the two of them, but I wasn't super scared of being in their shadow once I got there. So you mentioned the the overlap. You overlapped for a year um, with Allie, correct? Yes, I did. So I'm thinking about, so I overlapped for a year in high school with my sister. She was a senior. I was a freshman. And I legitimately one time walked by her and she completely ignored me like we didn't even acknowledge that I existed as I walked right past her. I'm hoping that experience was better for you uh, at UF than it was for me in high school. But what was that dynamic like having her there as a, as a red shirt senior? And then you're there kind of in your first year, just getting started. Oh, it was, it was really awesome. I loved like all of it. Um, I finally, I got to college and Allie saw me as not the nerdy little sister. 
I was finally like an equal and we really hung out like every single day. I was over at her house almost every day. We got so close that year and we were the same position. So we trained together. We did everything together. Um, I'd say it was a little hard being the same position because that's, that's probably not the most fun. Your little sister's coming in and you're sharing time with her, but she just handled it with such grace and made me think that I could do anything and I think she was just one of the best leaders in that aspect. Hmm. So, okay. So uh, moral of the story, your sister, better sister than my sister. I think that's what we, <laughs> we can agree on that based on that, that story. Um, so, okay. You have this long line of, of your family, right? For like almost, uh, almost 10 years, right? From start to, from start to finish. And now you are, you are wrapping it up, right? There, there is no more, at least for this generation. Um, what is it like for you looking back on and your career? And it, it's not over yet, but when you look back on on the time you've had, everything you've done, what does that make you think of? It's so hard because I grew up around Florida volleyball. I went to the games when I was 12 years old, just watching every game and being in the Odom so much. I was there for the original Odom, the renovated Odom, mm-hmm. the Lem Dome. I had been to all the games and been around all the people for so long. I think that last game this weekend at the end, it was like, Oh my gosh, that's hard. Cause my older, my middle sister was there and she cried and I was fine. I was moving on. Like we still have a game. We still have games to play, but when she cried, it kind of like settled in like, Oh, wow that's a lot of monsters to go through and maybe the last one. Mm-hmm. I just think I have such an emotional tie to this program and I'm so grateful for all it has given me. I wouldn't change one minute of it. What are there any stories in particular when you think about your time? What are some individual moments that stand out? This came to mind like this week I was thinking about it. Like my senior night happened and I was fine. Everyone cried. I was calm, cool, and collected. I did not cry. I was really proud of myself. But then I thought back to my freshman year when it was my sister's senior night, and I was hysterical. <laughs> I, we thank the Lord. We ran a 6-2, so she started. I got three rotations to collect myself on the bench. I was ugly crying, couldn't <laughs> believe my sister was graduating, leaving me. Um, I think that's one of the things I think about, like that moment. Because senior nights are just so memorable. I remember mm-hmm. everyone's senior night, all the emotions that happened. And it was also crazy to see like Ellie was hysterical on our senior mm-hmm. night. And I just remembered being in that exact situation. And I was kind of surprised that I wasn't really crying when I was the senior. Mm-hmm. I think I cry more for other people. I think I'm I less less for myself. Yeah, I always ask seniors this question, and I think most of them hate it. Um, but I always wonder, okay, well, well, what's next? Uh, how much thought have you given to? And I always get that that reaction. People can't see you, but the reaction with your eyes, like, oh wow, that <laughs> it always gives a little eyebrow lift of interesting. What is it that that you think you're going to do next? Do you have any any set plans? I don't have any set plans right now. I'm thinking grad school. Just not ready to be in the real world yet. <laughs> Maybe pro at some point, maybe a job at some point. Mm-hmm. I graduated with my degree in ma- um, in marketing. So maybe I'll enter the business world, go to grad school, kind of up in the air right now. 
but both my sisters are in sales. I think whatever I do, I will be fine. That's just how I'm going to look at the future. Yeah. Whatever I do, I will be okay. I imagine that, that once volleyball is done, you'll have more time to yourself. When you do have free time, what is it that you like to do? You mentioned movies earlier. I don't know if that's still a big thing, but what are some of your interests off the court? I do love movies. I'm a big homebody. I love to sit at home, watch TV. I actually love making pottery. Over quarantine, I bought a pottery wheel. Do you have a kiln? I do. You can have a kiln at home? I do. It's an electrical kiln, so it's really small. Okay. Probably very slow. Yeah. Well, it's actually not that small. I'm I'm under-exaggerating. I can put like a 14-inch bowl in it. So we're not, this is like bigger than an easy bake oven. This is, Correct. Uh, it's yeah. large. Okay. It's, it's like this thick of cement around oh, wow. metal. I guess you, you took the pottery scene and goes to too seriously. I know. My mom said that right when I got that and I had never seen it. <laughs> and then you went and saw it, I'm sure, right? Then and it then I sense. went and saw it. Yeah. Um, but I was in like pottery for honors in high school. I was almost in AP pottery, um, <laughs> which is like kind of crazy because it was just, like me and all the pottery kids. But I'm listen, I've interviewed hundreds of athletes for this podcast. This is the first time anyone has mentioned ho- pottery as a hobby. So so we're always we're always getting new athletes with different interests on the show here. Um so okay, other than making pottery, so favorite movies. Do you have any favorites, any go-tos? That's hard. I've seen like almost every movie ever. Um, that's, a, that's a very bold claim. That's a lot of movies. That's bold. But I have seen an absurd amount of movies. <laughs> and Harry Potter is a classic. But I wouldn't say that's near my favorite. But I have seen all of them multiple times. Okay. I like rom-coms. I like really gory violence. <laughs> Interesting. Did not see all rom-com leading directly. Really, yeah. The whole spectrum of genres I love. Except for horror movies. Never seen one. Never will. Gory. So gory is different than horror? Like violent. Violent. violent not like not scary. Not paranormal. Okay. I don't like that stuff. It's a very wide spectrum with a really weird carve out for horror. Correct. It's got to be scary. It's got to be violent, but not scary. Correct. Okay. I'm going to have to think about what movie. Your, your Netflix algorithm must be very intelligent to figure so out what fits. So it's so confused all the time. <laughs> it does. I have no idea what's happening. You, you've, beaten, you've beaten the algorithm. They don't have any tech. They can carve out just that one little section there. Just that okay. one. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, do you have any hidden talents or surprise facts about you that people uh, would be wowed by? I can scurf behind a boat. What is scurfing? Like, um, it's not a wakeboard. It's kind of like a skimboard, but your feet aren't in it. And you're right behind the boat. So, like, okay. you're, like, six inches from the boat. That sounds dangerous. Correct. Ellie's really good at it. I would say I'm not as good as Ellie, but I can I can get up and be in the water. Okay. I'm a really good boat driver. Maybe that is my hidden talent. That is a hidden talent because I, I will not drive the boat. No matter how many times my dad tries to teach me, I'm like, no, there's no lanes here. There's not enough rules. <laughs> I need more rules. I need lanes. I need lanes. Uh, I get that. I like to dock the boat and have no one help me and just do it on my own. And um, my sister would come home and she really wouldn't want to hang out with me. But she knew I was the only one that knew how to drive the boat. Right, right. That's how you you stay valuable. She was like, come out with me and my friends. Right. 
yeah, yeah, that that was that's good leverage though. It's just Correct. to keep yeah, good leverage. Important to have that. Um, she drove it once, crashed it right into the dock. Did she really? Oh, right into it. And then oh, pretended wow. like she didn't. And I walked out there and I looked at the boat and I was like, did you just crash the boat? <laughs> she said, wow. I don't know what you're talking about. How much damage did that do? Barely anything. Oh, I mean, barely? The, okay. The dock was dented and like the paint was scraped on the top. Okay. Of the I was when you I was thinking like Step Brothers where they crash the boat and it's just they wreck the whole. That was when you said right. I was like that doesn't sound good, but okay. L- little little damage, little damage, little damage, minimal um, damage, minimal damage. Okay, I do want to talk a little bit of uh, of Gator volleyball before we go here. Uh, you know, Mary does not like talking about it, but what did it mean to be part of her one thousandth win? And even I mean, for your how many how many of those were were your sister? You guys are probably responsible for. I don't know, 20% of those? You guys have played an, an integral part in, in Mary Wise's history. Yes, my dad actually added up all the games. Did he do I the math? It is, I, it's some 200 and something. I forgot. I ballparked yeah. it about right. Like 20%. You're right. It was yeah. a little yeah. over 20%. It really just means so much to play for Mary. I looked up to her from the minute my sister came here. Being just a small fraction of those wins just means so much. She's just such an instrumental coach in this world and i'm just really proud to be like the final monterey sister and she got to coach us all and we all loved it and obviously college sports is not the easiest thing ever and you're not gonna be in love with your coach every second of every day but i just think the grace that mary handles the game with and how she interacts with the players and she just cares so much about who we are as people and not just about players. And I think she's a huge part in how my sisters have dealt with the real world, you know, and I'm excited to see how I use the things that I've learned in this program because of her. Final question for you. Now you're talking a lot about your career in the past sense, but it's not over yet. There are no. still game. There are still games to be played, including this week. Uh, the Sweet 16 is about as big of a challenge as it gets playing number one Louisville on the road. How much of the preparation for that is the actual, you know, the game plan portion and then the we're playing number one. Oh, my. How do you how do you balance all of those challenges as, as you uh, you prepare for this week? I think we're just extremely excited. Um, we had a great weekend this weekend, just flowing together as a team. And Dave has put together an awesome scout. Um, and we look at Louisville, we think we match up really well and we're really excited to play them. We're not really looking at the seating because in the tournament, it doesn't really matter. Anything can happen, but we're prepping more game plan stuff and letting the seating stuff just make its way outside the door. We don't need to think about it. We're trying not to let it really get to us because it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like once the whistle blows, once we start playing, it's anyone's game and we're ready to go out and compete. And our biggest thing is we just want to have fun. And no matter what we're doing, we want to follow the game plan and really just enjoy playing. Well, Marley, I, I learned a lot from this. Uh, I learned that you can make pottery at home, that they probably sell kilns on Amazon. So this has been very, very helpful. Uh, thank you for sharing so much with us today and good luck as you, you finish this ride. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow.
Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.